You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. Welcome back to another edition of Mile High Report Radio Podcast, a not-so-special edition, and we are back on our regularly scheduled program, or our off-season program, I should say. Uh, Ian, uh, actually, kind of a lot of stuff going on this week, so perhaps we dive right in? I think we dive right in and discuss the looming Hall of Fame vote, where they'll trim down the 15 finalists to five modern day inductees and then you'll have the senior committee pick and then the two contributors committee i don't know if i like the word looming that's it feels very final and kind of negative maybe it's not negative but looming is certainly a little scary i think it has the potential to be Somewhat negative. That's why I use the word looming. Oh, I see what you did there. Because I I think Broncos fans hoping for a double dip in this Hall of Fame vote on Saturday in Atlanta has the potential to be disappointing. And that's just based on things that I've heard and seen people say about who everyone in Broncos country feels is a first ballot Hall of Famer in Champ Bailey. But when you listen to guys like Jim Trotter, who is at NFL Network and is one of the 48 members of the selection committee, and you hear what he says about Champ Bailey and says, what's the difference between Champ Bailey and Ty Law? They basically have similar statistics. When you hear that, and you, and you remember that Jim Trotter is a pretty influential member of that committee. And then you remember that you're a fan of the Broncos. And you know how the Hall of Fame treats members of the Broncos. Is there really a way that they induct two members of the Broncos in the same class when, as we were just talking about before we started recording... It's difficult to get multiple members from the Broncos in the same decade, let alone the same class. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's interesting because I feel like there's a certain sense of there's a there's a fatalist sort of view of the Hall of Fame for Broncos country and uh, for fans of the Denver Broncos who have been around for years and years and and we know uh, that that guys who are more than deserving of being in the Hall of Fame have been uh, left out for whatever reason that you can come up with and I, I haven't been able to come up with a legitimate one that makes any sense to me other than uh, the, the people who are picking are not very smart um, you know it's it's interesting because last you know last year we did our uh, 30 and th- you know 30 and 30 push for Terrell Davis. We're, we're doing a 27 and 27 for Steve Atwater uh, 
this year in the hopes of getting Steve Atwater into the Hall of Fame, almost ignoring the fact that Champ Bailey is is on the list because he, to like you said, to everybody's sort of mindset, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. If you if you look at Champ Bailey and Ty Law, and this is something that you and I talked about, and, and you ask the question, what's the difference? To me, that indicates that you don't really understand the game of football. No one ever, and, and you said this, and, and it, it sort of stuck with me when you said it, no one has ever accused Ty Law of being a shutdown corner. Whereas Champ Bailey was the shutdown corner in the league after Deion Sanders retired, right? If I'm if I'm not mistaken, so you have this you have this situation in the Hall of Fame, and I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna rant a little here, and I hope that that's okay with you. But you have this situation in the Hall of Fame where you have this this backlog of players, this logjam, if you will, and and it feels like. Uh, you know, Champ Bailey could get caught in that logjam for a little while just because of what you said. Uh, probably not as long as other players. It just becomes this ridiculous sort of moment every year as a Bronco fan. We sit there on Saturday and we hope to see a, another one of our guys get inducted into the Hall of Fame and, and then it doesn't happen. Or, or it does happen and we're elated, but... It's like we've waited so long for something that should have happened so long ago that it, it actually loses value. And, and one of the things that I said to you before we started recording, and, and I think it's an interesting point to make, at least from my perspective, is the fact that you have such a huge logjam of players who are more than deserving of getting into the Hall of Fame. And I'm not just talking about Denver Broncos players. I'm talking about... NFL players from from every team from every era that that guys that should be in the Hall of Fame that are not to me that's just is is it speaks to sort of the lunacy of the NFL's Pro Football Hall of Fame and and it and it damages the legitimacy of it in my opinion and and I said to you before we started I looked at the list of finalists of the 15 finalists that are on the list the modern day finalists and I said the, the, they're all Hall of Famers to me and, you, you know, you, you nitpicked a little and, and made the argument against a couple of the guys, you know, Tom Flores, you, you don't really think he's a Hall of Famer. I think you can go either way with that. Richard Seymour, you don't think he's a Hall of Famer. I, I don't know. He's a pretty integral part of, of three Super Bowl winning defenses. Uh, you know, I, I, I understand where you're coming from with that. But at the end of the day, if you put that list up against a list of Hall of Famers that are currently in the Hall of Fame, you would go, yeah, those are all Hall of Famers. And then if you told them that these guys weren't in the Hall of Fame, people would go, that's crazy talk. Now, some of them are first ballot. I get that. You know, you've got a few first ballot Hall of Famers here. But the fact that some of these guys haven't gotten into the Hall of Fame yet, and I'm not just talking about Steve Atwater. I'm, I'm talking about the whole list. It, it just blows me away. And it, and it makes the, the Hall of Fame, it, it damages the Hall of Fame to me. I look at the Hall of Fame with less reverence for the Pro Football Hall of Fame than I do with, say, the the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. You know, if you go to... The difference between Canton and Cooperstown is immense, in my opinion, because of the fact that to get into the Hall of Fame in the NFL, you have to go through this cockamamie, sort of meandering process that makes no sense to anybody and is so closed-doored and, like, Illuminati style, like, we're going to, you know, make our votes and blah, blah, blah. Nobody knows what's going on, like the ritual, and and the and I'm sure there's like 
candles lit and, and stars burned into tables. And it's weird. I, I bet it's weird. Whereas in, in baseball, nowadays, you got guys posting pictures of their ballots on Twitter. You know who they voted for. You, you know the process. It makes sense. Here's the threshold. If you meet the threshold, you're in. Done. The NFL hurts itself, I think, in this respect. And, it, and I know it's here we are sort of having the same argument, there's the same complaint as we always do, but it's it's frustrating. And we're about to watch Pat Boland get inducted into the Hall of Fame here in August because I'm fairly certain he's going in. Still frustrated. One point of contention, the NFL has nothing to do with the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The Pro Football Hall of Fame is a completely separate entity from the NFL. Sure. So it's the Pro Football Hall of Fame that sets up these cockamamie rules, and they do it with members of the media who cover right. the NFL. Right. I apologize. I should have I should have made sure I said that correctly. What drives me nuts about it is if Champ Bailey played in any other city, he would be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He would be considered a lock just like Ed Reed and just like Tony Gonzalez. But because he played in Denver, he's not going to be able to get that in my estimation because you have guys like Jim Trotter who think Ty Law are on par with Chant Bailey. To me, it's the same failed back-ass logic that we have with Jerome Bettis and Curtis Martin and Terrell Davis. The fact that Curtis Martin and Jerome Bettis are even mentioned with Terrell Davis is an insult to Terrell Davis. The fact that Ty Law is now being mentioned in the same breath with Champ Bailey is an insult to Champ Bailey. Anyone who would pick Ty Law over Champ Bailey, as you said, does not know football. And those who base it just solely on stats go to the point that I have had as a writer ever since the first time I read Rick Riley. I do not include stats in any of my stories because they're pointless and they're meaningless. They don't tell the story. It's a nice filler if you don't have the words to fill a story. If you want to dumb it down with stupid stats, you use stats. And I know people live by them. I know there are numbers guys. There's a couple of on, on our staff. And it's a completely different way to look at it. I, I get it. I totally get it. I don't. I think it's a horrible way to look at football. I think it's a horrible way to look at sports. And when you're basing it on a Hall of Fame vote, between Champ Bailey and Ty Law, I have never in my... I have never ever heard Ty Law described as a shutdown cornerback. After Deion Sanders, there are two that you can name as a shutdown cornerback post-prime. Champ Bailey, Darrell Revis. There might be a few that you can name. Aqib Tlaib might come up on the list. Chris Harris Jr. could come up on the list. Patrick Peterson could come up sure. on the list. Charles Woodson could definitely come up on the list. 
Taiwan does not come up on that list in any way, shape, or form. And the fact that there is a debate amongst voters that Ty Law and Chant Bailey are equal is maddening. It's idiotic. It's blasphemous. And it got me on a rant. Hey, I, I just got done ranting. So so two rants in, in a matter of uh, 11 minutes. Here we go. That's That's good stuff. I like it. Uh, 12 minutes, maybe. I guess it's 12 minutes now. No, I, you know what? You you make some some very good points. I, I will say this about stats, and I, I and I understand where you're coming from. I think if you look at, and I, I made the comparison between Major League Baseball and, and the NFL, one of the things that is so different in different sports, and, and the, these are the, the two comparisons I make because those are the sports that I know the most. Baseball is stats-driven, right? Baseball is... is is magic numbers. You you reach these numbers, you've proven your greatness, you're getting into the Hall of Fame. As long as you didn't play in Denver. As long as you didn't play in Denver, that's true. Whereas in... in, in poor Larry Walker, right? In football... Can I just say the sure. fact that Edgar Martinez is a Hall of Famer oh, before Larry Walker... Insane. ...is absolutely insane. It's asinine. It would be like having Tom Brady go into the Hall of Fame as a cornerback before Champ Bailey. It's it's that's about right. That's about right. I, but don't 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 get me started. I I could go for days on this one, and I just I just don't have the time. The NFL is not stats driven on the defensive side of the ball, in the way that. It is stats-driven on the offensive side of the ball. And when I talk about offense, I'm talking about magic numbers like number of touchdowns in a career or in a season, passing yards, passing completion. I mean, there's there's certain numbers. But even then, I guarantee that most fans of the NFL cannot tell you the stats of the the quarterback who has the most passing yards in NFL history. And we all know it's Drew Brees because we know it just happened this year. And you still don't know the number. Whereas most old baseball fans can tell you the magic numbers. Babe Ruth, 714, right? 714 home runs. Uh, you know, you know, Joe DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak, okay? These, there's these magic numbers. There's these things in baseball that you can you can grasp onto and say, that's a magic number. That's a, that's a thing that is important. Football doesn't have that. And, and I think that the point you're making about stats is an, an, an interesting one because, and I, I've said this on the show before, and I'm probably going to mess it up again like I always do, but stats are are like a light post. You can use them like a drunk to hold yourself up, or you can use them to illuminate what you are trying to say, right? You can, you can use them as a way to light the way, or you can use them like a drunk to hold yourself up. And, and in this case... Stats, if you're taking, if you're using them, if you're using stats to say that Ty Law is no different than Champ Bailey, you're using stats like a drunk uses a light post. You're just using them to hold yourself up. Because anybody, like you said, who's watched the game, who has seen players play football, knows that if you were having a draft and you had to pick a shutdown corner, you would pick Champ Bailey over Ty Law every time and twice on Sunday. But it, it takes me back to my my main complaint about the NFL and about the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which I know are different, but they work in conjunction with one another. 
you have so many players that are deserving. And I would tell you, I think Ty Law is deserving, just like Champ Bailey is deserving. So many players that are deserving of the Hall of Fame that can't get in because of the way that the Pro Football Hall of Fame and the writers choose who gets in. That it, it devalues it in a way that allowing too many players would devalue it. You've, you've gone to... To, you, you don't want to have the extreme, right? You don't want to be the, the National Hockey League that just lets everybody in or the NBA that just lets everybody in. And you don't want to be the Pro Football Hall of Fame that has has it so whittled down to who can get in that you, you, just, you just throw your hands up in the air and go, none of this makes any sense. So who do we think is getting in? When, when they get the knock on the door, who's getting the knock on the door from – the the president of the Pro Football Hall of Fame the good knock the yeah the happy knock um, I, I think you like you said you, there are some some locks right you you've got Tony Gonzalez and Ed Reed who I think are absolute locks they are definitely getting in you can't argue it any other way um, I think Don Coriel I think it's his time I think he should definitely get in um, you said Alan Fanica when we were talking before I think I would agree with that. I think those are those are your four locks. Those are the four guys that are definitely getting in. And then I think it comes down to a few different players. Champ Bailey is in that mix, and, and I don't really know. I can't pick a fifth guy. Uh, I, I think that, you know, flip a coin at, at that point. So I agree with those four. And then on top of that, you have the two contributor committee picks. Pat Bolin and Gil Brandt, I think both of them are locks. And Johnny Robinson, who is a safety for the Dallas Texans and then the Kansas City Chiefs. By the way, another freaking Kansas City Chief is going to be getting into the Hall of Fame. Another one. Basically, the entire team that last won a Super Bowl is in the Hall of Fame. There was one last year. And now there's another one about to go in. Another freaking chief. A team that has won one Super Bowl and hasn't won a Super Bowl in near 50 years is about to get another Hall of Famer. And has and never won the Lamar Hunt about, Trophy. <laughs> and we're talking about a team that has won three Super Bowls, been to eight, and they have five. Five people, five. That's a pretty small number. So those three, I think, are, are are guaranteed locks, especially a chief. They're like Vikings. Which really means you have two chiefs going in because Tony Gonzalez is also a chief. Correct. So I think that fifth spot is going to come down to Champ Bailey, Ty Law, and Richard Seymour. I think it's going to come down to those. One of those three guys is going to get that fifth spot. And the thing that could help Champ Bailey is that there are two Patriots fighting against each other. But they may say, well, the Patriots are a dynasty. They won three Super Bowls in four years. We got to get one of them in. And they're in the Super Bowl. That's something else to consider in all of this. The, the, the Patriots are playing in the Super Bowl. And that could be what hurts Champ Bailey. 
is that he didn't win a Super Bowl. He may have had one of the greatest plays in Broncos playoff history when he intercepted FYTB and returned it almost 100 yards. But I'm hopeful that it's Champ Bailey. I'm hopeful that the committee will realize that he is one of the greatest cornerbacks to ever play the game of football because he is. I just you're not you you're not I'm, seeing I'm it. A, I'm a jaded Broncos fan. Yeah, and they're gonna and they're gonna plop it out there and expect it to perform. Oh, plopping it out there and expecting it to perform. Whew. Actually, on that note, I think right now we're gonna take a quick break, and this ad is going to plop it out there and expect it to perform. And now we can get into the senior bowl if we want. All right. Well, and, and we're back. The, uh, the the Hall of Fame rants are over. Thanks for thanks for indulging. <laughs> we appreciate that. Um, some some things have happened recently. We had the Senior Bowl, and we talked a lot about uh, heading into the Senior Bowl, uh, players to watch, that kind of stuff. We talked a lot about uh, uh, Jeff and and Hart's. Uh, article that they wrote where they listed a few guys that were not quarterbacks as players to watch. Uh, We know that it uh, has sounded over the last week and a half or so like John Elway is enamored with uh, Drew Locke, and he's probably the the main target of the Broncos in this year's draft. Um, But I'll I'll interject. Ryan Konisberg, who's covering the Super Bowl for BSN, sent out a pretty funny tweet how – uh, it's basically a running joke that Drew Locke is already a member of the Broncos, which means, which means, to me, that almost indicates that it's just not going to happen because somebody's going to screw something up somewhere. But uh... <laughs> or, as I said on the last podcast, this is Garrett Bowles all over again. Yeah, or just with how they don't really hide what they're doing. Yeah, there's no such thing as a smokescreen in Denver. That's just the way it is. But but let's let's sort of go beyond that. Um, who helped themselves at the Senior Bowl? And, and, and admittedly, as we talk about the Senior Bowl, um, I, you know, I will tell you, I watched the, uh, parts of uh, most of the game. Um, mostly, I watched it to watch Drew Locke, and and I he he looked fine. I don't know, um, but who who do you think really helped themselves? Who should Broncos country be looking at as other potential names to to focus on after the game? I think what's important to point out about all of this is I think the least meaningful or impactful moment of the entire senior bowl week is the game itself. Because I think, I think pretty much everyone leaves after that Friday. So it's all about getting to know the players, to talk with them, to see what they're like away from the field. And then to see how they do during practice when they're thrown new concepts and new things from each practice to the next practice and how they handle it and how they digest it. And based on a story from a fellow SB Nation story with the Cincy Jungle, they list two players that helped themselves over the course of the Senior Bowl as two players, you, me, Jeff, Scotty, 
everyone would absolutely loved if it worked out like this. One of them is Drew Locke. They say he helped himself over the course of the Senior Bowl week. And then a guy that we mentioned that Jeff talked about in that uh, Senior Bowl preview story, and he definitely is going to be rising, is Dalton Risner, who coincidentally is from Wiggins, Colorado, and is a huge Broncos fan. No, I, th- I think that's um, that would be uh, that would be a nice grab, right? A nice get uh, if they could get both of those guys. I think the thing is when you when you look at something like the Senior Bowl and you look at sort of the way that teams evaluate players, th- the biggest thing to take away from it to me is when John Elway and company left. Did they have an idea of what they wanted to do? Were they happy with what they had seen? Because like we talked about before, they. They scouted Drew Locke a lot, four times. They went to Columbia. I mean, I mean, they, Columbia, Missouri, not you know, not the country, but you know, they, they they were all over Drew Locke during the season, and then to go down and, and meet with him during the Senior Bowl, I think, was huge, uh, an opportunity for them to get to know him. And, and if if this really is the direction that they're going to go, the most important thing that Denver can do is simply target him just say this is our guy we're going to go out and get him and we're going to make it work and and that's kind of what I would like to see uh just because if, if that's what they're going to do then they should do it I, I'm not going to I'm not going to evaluate Drew Locke for you that's not my job that's not something that I can really do for you what I am going to do is, is just reiterate the fact that after the senior bowl heading to the combine heading into all of the you know the pre-draft stuff after free agency and everything if he's the guy then they need to make sure they do everything that they can to get their guy. And and that's what I want. And then as far as Risner goes, I, I think it would be great if, you know, and I know that we kind of, we take a little flack for this sometimes from, from some of the guys on Slack at, at Mile High Report. We like it when Colorado kids are a success story. I, I mean, I think that that's, that's something that we take a little bit of pride in. You know, I, I look at, you know, what, what Philip Lindsay did with the Broncos last year and and wouldn't it be great to bring in another Colorado kid and have him be successful for the Denver Broncos I think that would be cool so if Risner is actually a good player and fits the system and is going to be successful I say go for it get do what you can to get him as well make it happen what's calling to John what's cool about it is that since we grew up in Greeley Wiggins is what, like 20, 30 minutes away from Greeley? Oh, no, I mean, it's, it, a, it's a little longer. than that. We, we used to play against Wiggins uh, in when I was in middle school, middle school basketball. We played against Wiggins, and they were – I think it was like an hour away. I think it took us an hour to get there. So, But it's cool that it's close enough that – I mean, it's, fr- it's front range. Yeah, we've been there, front range, played played baseball against guys out there, played – you know, uh, one, of, one of my good friends from, from high school who uh, – uh, you know, moved from Wiggins to Greeley. I remember, you know, he had some good friends out in Wiggins and stuff still. So, yeah, I, I mean, it is neat when you come from a when you come from a state like Colorado where it's smaller and you have fewer success stories, right? Like like that. It is neat when guys from Colorado succeed. I think that's what makes you know. I'm going to make a quick mention here of Roy Halladay. I think Roy Halladay making it into the Hall of Fame, you know, so posthumously, of course, but. 
that's that's a big story in Colorado because he went to Arvada West. He's from Colorado, and and then he went on and became a, a successful pitcher in the majors uh, in Major League Baseball. So to see guys in the NFL do well, Austin Eckler with the the Los Angeles Chargers is another example of that. A kid that went to Eaton. Uh, Eaton was our main rival when I was in high school. So uh, you know, again, something that is it's cool. Right, it's cool to be able to say that. Uh, maybe, do you remember Sean Chacon? I remember uh, he. Well, yeah, know, I went to school with yeah, him. Yeah, you were you went to Central with him. I remember, you know, remember growing up and thinking that Sean Chacon was an incredible baseball player. Played Major League Baseball. He ended up playing for the Yankees for a few years. Played for, was drafted by the Rockies. That's it's okay for us to take pride in guys being from our state and also being successful, especially when, uh, as a smaller state population wise, it doesn't happen as often. Another one is Kyle Freeland. There you go. Who is a stud pitcher for the Rockies now. The the thing that excites me about it is if Elway is enamored with Drew Locke as it seems that he is, as you said, go and get him. And it's not in my – it's not what I do to evaluate players and – and see where they are and what they've done. It's mainly because I don't have the time for it. (laughs) But at the same point, you, you find the guy that you want and you go and get him. And I think the difference, and you, you brought this up before we started recording, you said, well, they kind of did that with Paxton Lynch too. And I think the big difference between the two of them is that Drew Locke could potentially be a top three pick if these reports of the Broncos and Jets talking, potentially a top five pick if the reports are true of them talking with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's a top five pick. And with that, you're going and getting your guy. You obviously see enough in him. There's a great story in the New York Post where the lead was John Elway may have finally found John Elway. I mean, can you make that? I, I, I almost think that that's unfair, right? John Elway, it shouldn't be looking for John Elway. And, and you said but that's this. exactly what he's doing. Right. And but that's you, why he's failed because right. he knows what worked for him. And he thinks that that's what is going to work for every other quarterback. Sure. and But I think you made a really good point in, in last week's show about the fact that what you really want them to do is is not draft the next John Elway, but draft the next Drew Locke, if that's who they're going to take. Draft Correct. a guy who's going to be himself. And I think that's the most important thing that can happen here. And maybe that's the thing that Drew Locke did better than anything else during Senior Bowl week was he showed that he was Drew Locke. He wasn't John Elway. He wasn't... Aaron Rodgers. He wasn't Dan Marino. He was Drew Locke, right? He had his own attitude. He had his own, you know, his own style. And he he has some room for improvement from, you know, from all accounts. He's got some footwork issues, I suppose, that are that are there. But, you know, to me, it's, you know, I think I saw somebody call him the poor man's Patrick Mahomes. I think we might have said that on the show at one point or, or something like that. Again, I want them to draft a guy who is going to be the next whoever he is, not the next somebody else. Because if you're the next somebody else, you're not going to be as good as that person ever was. It just doesn't work out. 
my question to you, and this is just something that's sort of off the top of my head before we start to talk about the Super Bowl and do a little previewing of that, is if if you look at drafting a quarterback this year, is Broncos country, and I'm talking about the fans at this point, are we as fans patient enough to go through the growing pains of a young quarterback like Drew Locke? Because I, having a season like Patrick Mahomes did in his first year as a starter doesn't happen very often, right? That's not something that is normal. So are the fans going to be able to go through those growing pains with Drew Locke? Will we be able to accept those growing pains? I don't think the fans are the right the right aspect to ask about that. No, are the I, Broncos. I, I'm are the not, Broncos okay. going to have the patience to deal with a young quarterback? Because the last time they were in this situation – they didn't, and I, I think the the best thing that that's happened with all of this is that if they do draft another, if they do draft a young quarterback, and they, it is Drew Locke, I think the best thing that's happened is Gary Kubiak is not involved. He's now in Minnesota. So, what what excites me and what should give fans the ability to be patient is they have a guy who can develop that quarterback in Rich Scangarello. And then they hired a quarterback's coach on Tuesday, T.C. McCartney, who is the grandson of Bill McCartney and has been around Rich Scangarello for the last couple of seasons in San Francisco. So that's another guy that can help develop Drew Locke. I think what should give fans the patience is that there is now a coaching staff in place to handle it to develop it, to get him ready. And my hope, and I said this last week, is that they don't handle it like the Kansas City Chiefs because Case Keenum is not Alex Smith. Alex Smith is a better quarterback than Case Keenum. What I want them to do is is similar to what Doug Peterson did in Philadelphia. And potentially the Broncos go out and add a Joe Flacco or they add another veteran. It's not going to be Nick Foles. Nick Foles is not going to come to the Denver Broncos. He is going to end up with the Jacksonville Jaguars, with the offensive coordinator in Jacksonville, who he won a Super Bowl with in Philadelphia, John D. Filippo. Nick Foles is going to the Jacksonville Jaguars full stop. He is not coming to the Broncos. My hope is that, like Doug Peterson did with Carson Wentz, with Sam Bradford and whoever else was there at the time, just make it a competition. Give everyone the opportunity. Put it on equal ground. Whoever wins is the starter. You're all on equal footing. Just because you're a vet doesn't give you any more right to the job than a rookie quarterback who may or may not need development. Put them all out there, work with them, give them the same playbook. Here you go. Whoever earns it is the starter. And that's along the lines of the MO that John Elway has had since he came here. He loves competition. It's what he did with Trevor Simeon and Paxton Lynch. Well, I, I I disagree with that a little bit because if if they had got, if they had done that the way that they should have done it, the guy who won that competition in Paxton Lynch's rookie year 
was Paxton Lynch. Correct, but that's so, that's, that's we've moved on to the next chapter. You'd think we've moved on, but we talk about it a lot. <laughs> you talk about it a lot. Well, I just you know I want to make sure that everybody remembers that this is what actually happened. I'm a history teacher. You need to know the history before you can just start making comments. All right, let's let's move on to the Super Bowl, right? Let's let's get to the Super Bowl. The big game is here that we are all so very um, blasé about. Is blasé we're the all right Rams word? fans. I, I mean, we're all Rams fans. We're all we're all Except fans. Saints fans. Well, but we're all fans of our good friend Wade Phillips. And when I say good friend, I mean he doesn't know who we are. But if he did, I think that he would think we were pretty cool. He knows who I am because he follows me on Twitter. Right. That's you, you always got to rub that stuff in my face. Like it's like, come on, man. I could use I could use a few more cool followers on tr- Twitter, like like at son of bum, but it's it's not going to happen. It's fine, but he is a national treasure, as I tweeted out earlier this week, and uh, I'm excited for the game to watch, and hopefully see Wade Phillips draw up a defense that does to Tom Brady what he was able to do with the Broncos in 2015, and and get one over on him, and and have Tom Brady lose another Super Bowl. I'm I'm hopeful for that. I would be willing, I will do this out of the kindness of my heart, to loan Sean McVay and Wade Phillips and E. Stanley Kroenke, Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb. Sure. I think that's a great idea. We should loan them the Orange Rush because we know what Vaughn Miller does to Tom Brady. We have never seen Bradley Chubb do it yet, and I want to hear Tony Romo say Tom Brady has a Chubb in his face. It would be it would be great to hear. I think you know it's, that's very soccer of you, right? In in soccer, they loan players. Like um, recently, Borussia Borussia Dortmund of Germany uh, sold Christian Pulisic, who is an American soccer star, to Chelsea of of the. Uh, you know, the English Premier League or Barclays Premier League, if you will, who then in turn loaned him back to Borussia Dortmund. So I, I'm not really sure who he plays for right now. I guess he plays for Borussia Dortmund, but will eventually play for Chelsea. And I think that the Broncos could do that. Loan Von Miller and, and Bradley. Ch- I, lo- I love that idea. And, and even I would say even loan them Chris Harris if he was healthy enough. And he seemed to be healthy enough after you know, getting a key interception in the Pro Bowl. I, I know that sounds stupid, a key interception in the Pro Bowl. That's not a thing, but whatever. And 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 then, you know, kind of help them, help the Rams defeat the Patriots. I, I just think that that's, that just would make everyone else in the country feel much better. And we can loan them two more, DeMarcus Ware and Elvis Doomerville. Yeah. I, I'm they, sure they'll all the pass rushers. Yeah, they'll, they'll strap can, up. Can you imagine those four guys and then Aaron Donald and Indomitian Sue? I mean, I'm imagining it. It's not going to happen. Let's let's go ahead and and <laughs> maybe get our heads out of the clouds a little bit. But I, I th- well, I that's think more that... likely to happen than these ridiculous lawsuits that want the Saints oh. to somehow replay the NFC Championship. Can game. we? Can we please just a... move on? Uh, that to me is so stupid. Look, mistakes are made in every game all the time. It's the human element. So what would you like? Would you like to just take the human element out of it and just have computers and robots make all of the calls so that after every play you can have a holding call 
And after every play, you can have every play has a penalty. So is that what we're going to do? Yes, it was egregious. There were other egregious calls that were missed in that game. Hey, don't, don't don't even get me started. I get so tired of it. What's funny is my grandfather, who passed away in 1979, in the 1960s, would constantly tell my mom, you can call holding on every single play. In the 60s, 50 years later, it's still true. Yeah, that's. I think that's one of those universal truths. Right, there are universal truths out there. Things that are just—they are just the truth, no matter what you do. And and holding on every play is a universal truth. It's just the truth, no matter what you do. So uh, you kind of have to do it that way. But um, let's go ahead and and um, get a Super Bowl prediction, if you will, from uh, you know maybe I'll start because I th- I think I I think I should start. I'm worried about your predictions. So I'll start. We'll start on a high note here. I'm actually going to predict a, a Rams victory. Uh, I think they're going to win in a, uh, in a in a in a fun game that has a lot of scoring, and I'm going to go with a 38 to 35 Rams victory. Why not? Despite me wearing my Buck Faustin shirt, and I will wear it every day of the week. I will wear it on Super Bowl Sunday because I hate the Patriots and I hate Boston, except if they're playing the Chiefs. I I think that the Patriots are going to win the Super Bowl as much as my heart is saying no because I want the Patriots to take the record away from the Broncos of the most Super Bowl losses. That would be an incredible event. That's why Broncos fans should be rooting for the Rams, not just because of Wade Phillips and Aqib Tlaib but because the Patriots could become the new record holder for most Super Bowl losses. I just don't see it happening. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think it's going to be a fun game. I think it could be a lot like the the, the Carolina Panthers Super Bowl. But I think it's going to come down to the final possession and – I think we've seen what Tom Brady and the Patriots do in those situations. It's what Brady has done throughout the course of his career. I think he's going to do it again in this Super Bowl. I think the Rams will have a final possession, and I think Tony Romo said something similar to this. I just don't think the Rams are going to be able to to capitalize. If the Rams do it, though, Todd Gurley will be the Super Bowl MVP. So on that note, I think we'll take a, another quick break here um, just because we have to. But we'll continue this discussion in just a moment. All right. So uh, we're back. I'm, I'm, I'm jumping in here. Ian's predicting a, a, a Patriots win, and I just feel, I feel icky about it. But I, you said something interesting before we went to break there. If the Rams win, you say Todd Gurley is the MVP. Correct. See, I, he's gonna have he's gonna have to to do more than he did against the Saints. He is going to have to be the player he was throughout the course of the regular season for the Rams if the Rams are going to win this football game because they have to control time of possession. They have to keep Tom Brady and that offense off the field, and the best way to do that is to run it with Todd Gurley. 
I like what CJ Anderson has done. I like that Sean McVay has given him the chance to come in and, and show that he can still be an effective running back, but he's not Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley has to be Todd Gurley for the Rams to win the Super Bowl. So you don't think now here's here's another direction I might take that. I know I gave a, a thirty eight to thirty five prediction and, and that that's because I kinda wanna see a high scoring game and I think it's gonna be fun and I'm not taking my predictions all that seriously with this Super Bowl because I, I, if the Broncos aren't in it, does anybody really care? But I, I will say this. I think I do think that if the Rams are going to win this game, you're right, Tom, uh, Todd Gurley has to have a big game. But I also think that the defense has to disrupt Tom Brady in a way, like we said, in a way that the, the Broncos were capable of doing in that AFC Championship game in 2015. Uh, and I, I think Wade Phillips can draw that up. I actually think that leaves the door open for a defensive MVP, much like in 2015 when Von Miller won the MVP. And and I think you could see Aaron Donald end up being the MVP of the game because, again, just like just like Todd Gurley has to be Todd Gurley for them to beat the Patriots, I think Aaron Donald has to be Aaron Donald for the Rams to beat the Patriots. The defense has to stop Tom Brady and, and that offense. And they I think they can do it if they can get up in his face and they can – can you know put Tom Brady on his back? He doesn't like to play in games where he is, where he's getting harassed, where he's getting hit, where he's constantly having to to look over his shoulder. He gets gun shy quick. The issue that you brought up that I think is is going to be a concern for the Rams in this game is that the Rams don't have edge rushers like the Broncos did in that 2015 AFC Championship game. So where does the pressure come from? And can those cornerbacks hold up and give the the interior rush time to get to Tom Brady? I do think that Aqib Talib is is and by the way, I think Aqib Talib might be a Hall of Famer, but I think Aqib Talib is going to be integral. I think that secondary is is gonna be huge. Can they cover guys and then can they stop the running game? I I, I think the Rams can do it. I'm picking with my heart. That's that's sort of part of the problem, I suppose. The other big thing to watch in this game is how do the Rams do not just in stopping the run, but the running backs catching passes out of the backfield, because that is always a key with Josh McDaniels and Tom Brady and who is going to be on Gronk. And then who is on Julian Edelman? My guess would be that a keep to would be on Gronk. And Marcus Peters would then be on Julian Edelman. And I would give the edge to Julian Edelman in that situation. Yeah, I just made a face when you said that. Did you see my face? I didn't. I did. I made a face. I think the Rams offense has the potential to move the ball on New England's defense. I really do. I mean, just look at what the Chiefs did. They didn't have the ball that much. And they, a high-scoring, fast-paced offense. The Rams kept pace with the Chiefs. But the Chiefs' defense isn't as good as the Patriots, in my estimation. So that's why I think it comes down to Todd Gurley and being able to run the football. Because then it sets up Sean McVay's whole offense, which is almost identical to Mike Shanahan, who came from the Mike Shanahan coaching tree. Terrell Davis set up the whole offense for the Denver Broncos. 
Todd Gurley sets up the offense for the Los Angeles Rams. If he's effective and he's running the football, that sets up play action. That allows Jared Goff to go to Brandon Cooks. It allows him to go to his plethora of receivers minus Cooper Cup. It, it just it opens everything up for McVay and Goff if Todd Gurley is Todd Gurley. Well, here's hoping he's Todd Gurley because that's like you said that's the way that that's the recipe for a win there. Um, is there are there any other Super Bowl predictions that you want to make? Not, you know, Super Bowl predictions can go all kinds of directions. Who's going to win the toss? Who's going to score first? Uh, how long is the national anthem going to be? Do you want to do any side bets or you just want to avoid all that crazy junk? This might be the first halftime show I'm not excited about and I might not watch because I really don't like Maroon 5. Well, they, they didn't pick Maroon 5 for you. You know what I'm saying? They picked Maroon 5 because, you know... That's that's what certain people are going to be watching for. I, have you ever been to a Super Bowl party where there are people that don't watch any of the game, but anytime the commercials are on, they walk watch over and watch the commercials. You know, they walk, oh, they're yeah. like, oh, what's going on? And then they walk away during the game, and then they come back for the halftime show. Those kinds of people drive me nuts. But I, I guess that's kind of the spectacle of the Super Bowl is that there's so many other things going on as well. It's, it makes it quite interesting. I personally think the Super Bowl should be um, a national holiday and we all should get Monday off after the Super Bowl. Um, but for some reason, they don't do that. Just like I think, you know, we should get the day off to go vote. I think we should get the day off after the Super Bowl so that we can all go have a good time and not worry about Monday morning. I will make a prediction. Those who are on social media, Jeff Bridges sent out a basically a 15-second video that hinted at one of his characters making a return. Oh, yes. I saw that. So I think that might be what I'm looking forward to the most. Yeah, dude, totally. Is what this preview looks like for a potential Big Lebowski reboot. And that's not just my opinion, man. No, that's that's not just like your opinion, man. (laughs) It's like... Dude, I, I mean, you you might be out of your element here, Ian, but I think I think you're on. I think you're actually on point. I think you're on point on this one. I like the it. The dude abides. The dude abides. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos.